I'm Andrew Dare, and welcome to the Experience CGI podcast today. Today we're going to talk about VRPs, and are VRPs going to be the end of open banking? I probably need to provide some context before we get into that, and you know, what what, what are VRPs? Um, to help me with some of this discussion, I've got my colleague Sean Devaney. Um, he's probably going to provide much of the detail here, I've got to say, but... Um, Let's really think about what, what is VRP and, and, and then I'll pass on to Sean to have a little bit more uh, depth, I guess. So um, VRPs are the new feature for uh, open banking. It stands for Variable Recurring Payment. Uh, they're due to go live, um, I think, July this year, so 2020. But um, I think really, Sean, I'd ask you, you know, so you know, what do VRPs mean to the banks? And I guess we'll get into why it could be the end of open banking. So, Sean, to start with, you know, what do the banks have to do to implement VRP? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Andrew. So, so variable recurring payments are a new mechanism, a new uh, service uh, offered through um, open banking, the open banking service uh, in the UK. Um, they they allow individuals to be able to uh, authorise third parties to make um, recurring multiple payments um, from their their accounts over a, a given amount of time. So to a lot in a lot of ways they look very like um, traditional direct debits. In that you know the, the payee, the person that you're going to pay the money to, is is, is fixed. Um, so you might be paying a, 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 a some sort of recurring bill or, or, or whatever um, to a, a, a utility company or, a, or a, a membership or something like that. But the difference between uh, variable recurring payments and, uh, and direct debit is, um, you know, the number and, uh, and frequency of uh, the payments is is fixed or capped. Um, and although the the amount can't be fixed in advance because you want it to be variable and variable recurring payments, there are clear parameters around the permitted value, such as the maximum individual payment amount, the maximum total value in a month or a year. You can pick the period um, that you have that maximum um, amount over, um, and and the whole setup of uh, variable recurring payments is. Uh, is through a, a strong customer thought, uh, sorry, a strong customer authentication process as part of the, of the setup of the, uh, of the variable recurring payment. So you have to have uh, a trusted beneficiary, um, and uh, the, the payments um, uh, will move from uh, your your bank account to uh, the beneficiary bank account based on the parameters that you uh, that you set up. Um, you, you asked what, what do the banks have to do? Um, well, it, that's an interesting one um, because um, the, uh, the Competition and Markets Authority, who are the people who um, drove the open banking initiative in the UK, um, they have um, set out that the top five banks by um, uh, current account volume in the UK, uh, the uh, banks that are euphemistically known as the CMA9 for the purposes of open banking, um, they need to be able to offer um, these variable recurring payments, but they only need to be able to offer them in a very specific circumstance, and that's for the purposes of sweeping. And sweeping is the idea that, you know, if you've got money in one account uh, uh, over a certain value, so let's say you've got over 
a thousand pounds or five thousand pounds or whatever it might be in your current account, you can use variable recurring payments to take any excess and sweep that excess into um, another bank account, um, a, a higher interest paying bank account, typically uh, a savings account. It also can work the other way. So if you go overdrawn, uh, for instance, and you have money in a savings account, you can use the sweeping mechanisms to take money out of that savings account and top up your current account so that you avoid um, any um, uh, overdraft fees and, and so on. But they only have to do that sweeping um, uh, module the variable recurring payments uh, process can be used for other um, types of uh, recurring payment, like I mentioned before, like bill payments or uh, memberships and, and so on. So, Sean, um, for those extra services, so, so as they analogue to direct debit, um, will the banks be charging for those? I mean, typically in the UK, you know, personal banking's free um, and the services like direct debits are included in those. This is something slightly different. And, you know, other banks going to attempt to charge for this? Do you think they'll be able to? Yeah, so that, that, that's a really interesting question. And, and actually, that's at the heart of um, what we, the question we ask at the beginning of this uh, podcast, you know, are variable recurring payments the end of open banking as we know it in the UK? So the answer is they can charge for it. So the banks can charge um, for um, access to um, the, uh, the APIs that drive um, uh, the variable recurring payment process. Now, the question is, A, will they charge for it? And B, who will they charge? So if you look at the, um, you know, you mentioned uh, banking, transaction banking in the UK typically being free. And that's true for retail customers. So for you and me, that's true. So uh, individuals operating their accounts, that's true. That's not tr- not so true um, for businesses. So businesses are used to paying fees for both money going out of their accounts and money going in. So there is precedent for charging uh, the, the the biller, the, the person who's going to receive the money, and even the person sending the money when they're when they're when they are a business. Where it gets really interesting is um, the the third parties that are providing some of the services that sit on top of open banking. So um, those those third parties that are providing aggregation services and things like that at the moment through open banking, they don't have to have any relationship at all with the banks um, whose data they are using. The relationship that those organisations have is with um, the uh, the regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, um, and the open banking implementation entity itself. So they have to be registered with the open banking implementation entity, and they have to be authorised for the type of third party that they are um, with the Financial Conduct Authority. And the great thing about that, and one of, I think, the key features of open banking in the UK, is that that means that those third parties don't have to have relationships with individual banks. And that in turn means that those third parties don't have to have, don't have to get into contractual discussions with a bank where potentially the bank might be offering competing services to what that that third party is offering. Because after all, 
The banks can offer these variable recurring payments in the same way as um, third parties can. They could offer it on behalf of their customers who might have accounts with, uh, with, with other banks. So there's some real debate about where that charging relationship is, is going to lie, whether it's going to be something that is passed on to um, the biller, so the uh, you know the utility company or the or the gym or whoever it is who's raising the uh, uh, the, the the request for for money, or whether it will be um, the payer. Um, it's a difficult one to to see uh, being justified if you apply it to the retail banking sector, but it could be applied in the in the business sector. Um, but that's a model that exists today. I think where it gets really dangerous, really tricky, is um, if you start looking at applying those fees to um, the third-party fintech providers who are providing these sort of aggregation services. Because at that point, I think you, you, you lose the ability to really call this open banking. Because all of a sudden, you're requiring um, the banks themselves to grant entry for those third parties into the scheme. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And, and you know, the, the joy of open banking has been it was really easy to get into. Um, having said that, you know what's you know what's in it for the banks really? Why would the banks want to do it anyway? Yeah, I, I think you know as we said, the, the you know the banks themselves can offer this service in the same way as a as a uh, as a fintech um, aggregator service, uh, third party service could could offer it, um, and I think that they will. You know, they will potentially see value in in offering those services because it's a simpler model. Um, it, it moves the bank to uh, towards that sort of uh, API enabled infrastructure that they've that many of them have been moving to over the last few years. Um, you know, it moves away from those traditional card models. If you look at what's happening in Europe, for instance, uh, with the European Payments Initiative, looking at developing a uh, a new model for for, for um, card and account to account payments in Europe, um, then um, you know it, the the sort of the rise and development of those API services is uh, is increasing, um, and I think it would be um, it be short sighted uh, of of the banks to. Uh, to restrict access to the uh, to the um, service by chart by by forcing um, charges onto those third parties and hence contractual arrangements onto those third parties because I think it will genuinely stifle innovation. I think that the banks will uh, will be able to take advantage of uh, of quite a bit of that in- innovation themselves. They'll be able to see ideas that are um, being um, uh, developed by those third parties. And, and at the end of the day, those the, the, the large banks in the UK have a very large market share um, and applying those uh, innovative ideas when you've got that very large market share um, gives you uh, uh, already uh, a, a pretty good uh, competitive advantage. So I think it will be interesting to see um, how the charging model works. And I really hope that it doesn't um, spell the end of, uh, of open banking for us. So just back to that banks thing, I mean, I guess it's potential for them not having to re-engineer banks again as well because of the... Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, that, that's a really good point. The new payments architecture is uh, is being developed uh, in the UK uh, and at the moment it's focused on uh, on redefining faster payments to work with the new ISO 20022 schemes. Uh, uh, but um, BACs and, and things like that have, have, uh, have been left for a later date. 
Now, standing orders has already moved to, uh, to faster payments. If variable recurring payments took off, um, then you could see them absolutely as an alternative to direct debit. And it's direct debit that makes backs hard to, uh, to, to, to re-engineer um, just because some of the some of the supporting process for direct debits in in backs um, are, are complicated and, and relatively old, um, so you could absolutely see this as an alternative to um, to to having the banks have to invest in reinvesting in um, in, in a new backs service as part of the new payments architecture. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, uh, just a, a final question: We've asked, you know, we've I asked what was in it for the banks, what's in it for the customers themselves or the businesses that. The partake of VIP. Well, so in terms of uh, you know customer benefit, um, uh, well, for, from a, from a biller point of view, um, it's it's uh, a really strong uh, case for, for for billers because it combines the best of the sort of existing sort of request to pay models um, in open banking, where you're able to um, to tie the invoice production all the way through to the. Uh, the payment that you uh, receive so that you have a much easier reconciliation journey, but it also allows you the flexibility to be able to collect multiple payments over a, uh, a longer period of time um, for variable uh, amounts. So you can absolutely see it being uh, really heavily used in things like, you know, micropayment type services. You know, so um, it might be uh, uh, insure as you go models um, where you're you're paying um, uh, only for the the time that you drive the car or, or whatever it might be, um, and you need to be able to make a payment in order to be able to cover yourself for that. Um, it, it allows um, the billers to to have that level of flexibility, and from a customer point of view, it allows them to have. Uh, uh, a service that they control in the background. It allows them to be able to to set financial limits on uh, on what payments go out of their accounts, uh, which is something that isn't um, there with direct debit at the moment. So um, at the moment, uh, if a direct debit comes out of your account, um, typically say for a utility bill, we all know that utility bills uh, are rising at the moment. Um, that could have been £100 uh, last month, uh, but there's nothing to stop it being £200 next month. Um, they, the, the, the companies that raise that bill do have to tell you that they're going to take that money out, but they can take uh, a larger amount out of your account than you're expecting. With this service, you can cap that so that at least you're able to um, understand and manage what's coming out of your account and work with those suppliers to be able to ensure that your bills still get paid, but that you don't have any unexpected surprises in your, um, in your bank statement. Okay, well, thanks very much, Sean. Um, I really enjoyed that discussion. Thanks, Rick. Um, that's us today for the for this podcast. Um, just a reminder, you can subscribe to the Experience CGI podcast through all the usual channels. And thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.